0: Order in the court. Of course, we're in Ephesians, right? And we've been talking about resurrection, how that resurrection is really is really the message of the church, not just something we kind of get happy about once a year, but it's, it's the message of the church. It's the message of the early church. And, and I think in some ways we've gotten away from that. And we've been talking about how we're seated. Everyone say, seated. Okay, we start. We work from. We come out of uh, a position of being seated, and we come out of that. And then we have, and then we go from sitting to walking. And Paul begins to, wraps up this section on walking. N- next Sunday is our last message in this, and we're going to talk about standing. Mm-hmm. One sermon on standing. We're all going to sing that song, I'm Still Standing. Amen. We're going... No, we're not going to do that. We're going to... So, um, so um, watch this. So this is the last section on, on walking, but it's all about not just walking wherever. You... We're not just, listen, as Christians, we're not just taking a stroll. We're... We actually are going somewhere, and there's a right way to, to walk, and there's a wrong way to walk. Okay? There's a certain order to resurrection. Wow. Paul says there's even an order to who gets resurrected when. So there's an order to resurrection. There ought to be order in the church. Paul said, let everything be done decently and in order. Amen. And that doesn't mean man-controlled order. It means God-controlled order. And we don't always know what that order is, and that's why services here at Journey Life Center can get really strange sometimes. We don't know what's going to happen next. We, we always meet before church and say, we're going to try to do this, we're going to try to do that, unless, you know, if the Lord dips, his, dips his, dough, his toe in the water, the whole thing's messed up. Amen. It's whatever He wants, and we're okay with that. Amen. So, so it's, it's divine order in the church. And so let me let me back up at last a few verses from last week because really commentators have had a hard time knowing exactly where to divide this. And really, what we talked about last week is really what is illustrating this week, but it's not really what we think it is. So anyway, let's let's we're going to be in the Passion Translation, Ephesians chapter fifteen, verse fourteen. Let's just start there, and it says, "This is why." This is why the scripture says, Arise, you sleeper. Uh huh. Rise up from the dead, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. Not not on you, into you. You actually become a flashlight, but the light is his, he's the energizer bunny. He's the battery within you, okay? But then in verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Isn't that interesting? Instead, say instead, instead be. And the Greek there is constantly being filled. It's not a one-time event. It's not like, well, I spoke in tongues once. No, no. There's a difference between being filled and being baptized, by the way. Being baptized in the Spirit is basically a one-time event. But being filled with the Spirit can be be going on every morning, every night. We constantly need to be trying to be filled mm, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Why is it we think we can have part of the Spirit? You either got it all or you don't have it. It's not a little dabble, do you? you got to be old to catch that reference. Verse 19 says, and your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord Jehovah. Keep speaking to each other with words of Scripture, singing the songs with praises and spontaneous songs. We're moving into that. Given by the Spirit. Always, verse 20, give thanks to Father God for every person, even the knotheads. We are, we're only thankful for people who can help us. Lord, thank you for that person who's going to give me $100 next week. Thankful for every person. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. He brings into your life in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And out of reverence for Christ, be supportive, submitted, supportive of each other in love. So that sets up the next section, which if you know your Bible, don't show that yet, If you know your Bible, it talks about husbands and wives, it talks about children, and it talks about bosses and employees. Most of us are at least one of those somewhere. We're probably multiple of those. And sometimes we get it in our head that all of a sudden Paul's just telling us how to be married, and he's not really. Quiet in the house. I'm going to break that down, and if you miss my point there, you're going to miss the whole sermon. But I'm not ready to go there. That's just to whet your appetite and wake you up so that you're ready when I get there. You got me? You feel me? <laughs> so, so let's go back to what he says. He, he has two imperatives, okay? In, in, in English or in Greek, an imperative means uh, really like a command. So there's two commands. One's negative, one's positive. He said, command number one, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine. It's not, he's not really talking about alcohol here. He's not really talking about all the pagan drunken feasts that, that the people and the Christians in Ephesus used to do. He's not really talking about the parties you all used to go to. He's not, amen, it, <clears throat> he's talking about a principle here that he doesn't want us to be controlled by anything other than the Spirit of God. What he's talking about is we tend to lean on things that we become addicted to, and those, that could be any kind of pleasure that we become addicted to that, that, that we become, that motivates us or, or that directs our lives. So my question is, what is controlling you? What is motivating you? What is directing your life? Don't give in to that. When you'd rather do other things than worship than come to church... What is it that excites you? What gets you up in the morning? And if it's not Jesus, cut it out. Quit it. Because something else is intoxicating you. Something else has become an escape for you. Something else has replaced your joy. Wow. Do not do that. Do not use anything in the world to intoxicate you, to motivate you, to give you joy because those things don't last anyway. They're 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 like Adam and Eve putting on those leaves for cover. They don't last long and they itch. Come on now. So the one imperative is do not be drunk with wine, which is rebellion. That's cool. It's actually rebellion against God because you're refusing what's coming from him, and you'd rather seek the pleasures of the world for a season. Oh, it's quiet in this house. Y'all, y'all don't start Amen. me. It's going to get worse. It never gets better when you get quiet on me. It just gets worse. Now, 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 the positive command is be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is kind of an interesting comment here because it says, wow, what it's saying, can I just talk to you? What it's really saying is you do have control over that. He doesn't force that on you. Whether you're filled with the Spirit or not, you can't blame God for that. He said, make the choice. Be filled with the world or be filled with the Spirit. And there aren't any other choices. Be constantly filled with the Spirit. Or really, sooner or later, and that's what's happening to the world today. They've they've gone. They've become so involved with technology and everything. There's this empty void within them, and they they're finding something spiritual to fill it. Do you realize now there are more witches in America than ever, than ever in the history of our country? It's just going crazy. People are joining covens, and they think it's the coolest thing. And then there's the new age movement, and and and. And, and uh, oh, Jesus, those horoscopes you all read. And, uh, and uh, sometimes we have more confidence in our horoscope than we do what the Bible says. You say, oh, I love that song. It's, it's what he says over us, not what your horoscope says. You know, the horoscope's I always right when it's right. Jesus. Say, man, oh glory, O oh God. I repent. Whatever you got to say. <laughs> okay, you got me? One negative, one positive, and that, that's where, that's where we, we need to go. In other words, you are responsible for something in your Christian walk. Now, we can't manipulate the Spirit. We can't tell the Spirit what to do. But we, we are responsible whether we're receptive in a receiving mode of the Spirit or not. And you can't be in a receptive mode of the Spirit when you're receiving all the things of the world. All right. Is that enough? Are you okay? I can go a whole hour there. And then after he says the two imperatives, he has... I'll just stay with the English here. <laughs> There's five participles, and he says, listen, here's what life in the Spirit looks like. He Just, just briefly, he says, we need to be speaking. We need to be singing. We need to be making music. We need to be giving thanks, and we need to be submitted to each other. That's the Spirit life. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't even mention speaking in tongues here. He didn't mention even one of the spiritual gifts here. I don't know where we got this idea that the more spiritual gifts we have, the more spiritual we are. That's like saying, I'm really wealthy because people gave me a lot for Christmas. Well, you didn't earn it. You just got a lot of gifts. Come on, you you can have all the gifts of the Spirit, and some people still live like the devil. Just because you have a lot of spiritual gifts doesn't mean you're a spiritual person necessarily. It does help, by the way. <laughs> it helps to flow in the spiritual gifts if you're spiritual. But that's not necessarily how it works. I know people that, man, I, I would just, I would just I would take them in. You can come live with us anytime you want to. And, man, they're, they're just easy to live with. They just love everyone. They don't have a single gift. But they're closer to Jesus some apostles and prophets I know. Oh, Jesus, help us here. Come on now. Whew. Oh, the pastor, he must just walk with God. Why? Because I got a title? Because he put me in a position to say, you're the pastor? Big deal. I got I to gotta try to live up to that. And it ain't easy. Y'all have expectations. Amen. <laughs> you'll get it later. Amen. So here's, here's what he says. Let's go on. Let's go into this. You ready? I'm going to read some scripture to you. Verse 22. Wives. How many wives we got? Some of you won't admit it. Okay. Wives, this means, and I, this is in the Passion Translation. So it's going to sound a little different. Ready? Wives, this means being supportive because we hate that word submissive. This means being supportive to your husband like you are tenderly devoted to our Lord. Watch this now, watch this now, watch this now. For the husband provides leadership for the wife, not the husband's boss of the wife. I thought I'd hear a lot of female voices there. The husband provides leadership for the church just as, say just as, just as Christ provides leadership for his church as the Savior and reviver of the body. In the same way, the church is, oh, get that? In the same way, the church is devoted to Christ. Let the wives be devoted to their husbands in everything and to the husbands whew, wake up out of your recliner come on and to the husbands you are to demonstrate demonstrate love you know i love you two people riding in the car they're they're in opposite ends right remember when we had bench seats in the cars and the farmer's wife looks over and says, honey, remember when we first got married, we would sit together, sit right next to each other. He looked over at her and said, well, I'm not the one that moved. That was wrong. That was wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to blame it on God. Amen. You are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same. Here it is again. With the, here's the metaphor. With the same tender devotion. Doesn't sound like a dictator to me. That Christ demonstrated to us his bride. For he died for us. He didn't just take out the trash when we remembered. He died for us sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the Word of God. We get on this. We get all messed up with this. Wives, submit to your husbands. And yet we ask the husbands to totally sacrifice everything for the wife. Can I ask you a question? Is there really any difference between submission and sacrifice? Sounds to me like we're both submitting. Come on, I'm trying to help some marriages here. We've we got, we got to move on on this and understand, you know, that word submission in the Greek means to arrange something. It's, it's a holy arrangement but it doesn't it's not about the husband dictating to the wife it's about just understanding the order in God's court how many know there's an order to the court it doesn't make one better smarter amen more able than the other It's just talking about a divine order in the church and in the family. And I'm going to explain why that is, and it might surprise you in just a minute. Verse 27 All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church. What Paul's talking about is really not about marriage, it's really about. His body, it's about divine order. Watch this. Until, listen, until we become a source of praise. Oh, I want to get to the place where God brags on me. Wow. Glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Husbands have the obligation of loving and caring for their wives the same way they love and care and primp over their own bodies. I want to break something. For to love your wife is to love your own self. No one abuses his own body but pampers it, serving and satisfying its needs. That's exactly what Christ, not man, that's what Christ does for his church. He serves and satisfies us as members of his body. For this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and lovingly hold to his wife. Come on, uh, mama's boy. Break it off. Cut the apron strings. Hold to his wife since the two have become joined as one flesh. Marriage is the beautiful design. Here's where I was going. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery or a revelation meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. He's talking about divine order, and he's using marriage as an example. Don't go to these verses and say, here's everything Paul has to say about marriage. He's not trying to really describe marriage. Get this. He's trying to... He's using marriage as a metaphor For the relationship we have with Him. Listen, but here's here's what Paul is saying. The purpose of marriage, it's really not even about you, it's not even about having kids, like they used to believe a long time ago. Marriage is a metaphor for how Jesus loves his church, and is jealous for it and loves it. Oh, y'all aren't getting this. This is why people say, well, why does God hate divorce? You know, because it's, it's messing with the example. That's all it is, and that's a lot. God is saying, I'm establishing this thing called marriage, and it's a relationship between one man and one woman all their lives. And I'm not here to fuss at anybody, you know, uh, about divorce. That's not what I'm trying to say. I want you to understand that marriage is sacred. It's not because divorce is, it's not so much that divorce is a sin, it's about the world trying to destroy the image. Trying to destroy the metaphor. Trying to, de- trying to destroy something sacred. God said marriage is sacred. I, I, I did it, he said. I created this institution. It represents everything I believe about Christ and his church, my son and his bride. That's what marriage is supposed to represent. And that's why the devil is trying to tear it down. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Wow, if you really got that, go home. I'm done. Whoo, glory to God. Just kidding. Please understand this. It defeats every argument. when you When you begin to preach marriage, as a type of the relationship between your marriage is simply a reflection of Jesus and his church. keep it holy. keep it sacred. come on, come on and, and listen again, I'm not here to fuss at anyone. even Paul says he says if one of the if one person in the marriage is an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to leave, let him leave. That's what Paul said. So we understand there are situations. Jesus talked about adultery and, and breaking the covenant and all the, and all that you know, I'm not talking about all that stuff. I'm just saying, I'm just saying something very general, that marriage is sacred and it's holy. Is anybody feeling me today? All right, let's, let's move on real quick. So chapter six, verse one, children, oh, they're not here. If you want to be wise, Listen to your parents and do what they tell you. Every parent should have this on the refrigerator. And the Lord will help you. Even if you're carnal, there's a good reason to obey your parents. For the command, right, 10th commandment, or one of the 10 commandments, honor your father and your mother was the first of the 10 commandments with a promise attached. You get to live long. He'll <laughs> take you out. You will... Prosper and live a long, full life if you honor your parents. Order in the court. Honoring marriage. Honoring our relationship. You know what? You may not feel like you used to feel when you were honeymooning, but your marriage is not about what you feel. It's about honoring what God put together. Oh, come on. And you know what? I think if you'll do that, you'll probably fall back in love. Oh, am I helping anybody? So then he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up with loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. And then it talks about, and, and, the, and the Passion Translation uses a little liberty here because we don't relate to slaves and masters anymore. If you were a working class person in the Roman Empire, you were a slave. Any working class people here? Anybody work for a living? Back then, you would be a slave. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't a racial issue. It was you were conquered and we took you. So, so they put it in today's language. Those who are employed should listen to their employers. And obey their instructions with great respect. And there needs to be a culture of honor in the marriage, in the workplace, with children. How many children do you see? They don't honor their parents. And there are repercussions. Serve them with humility in your hearts as though you were. Always do what is right, not only when others are watching. What you say behind your employer's back at the water cooler. So that you may please Christ as his servants. Do you know, I don't care what job you're working, you're working for God. So quit acting up. Serve your employers with whole wholeheartedly and with love. Wow. As though you were serving Christ and not men. In this great two more verses. Be assured that anything you do is beautiful and excellent. Wow. Will be repaid by our Lord. Whether you are an employee or an employer. And then the last verse he takes a little more liberties because this is talking to the master But let's just talk about people who are in leadership over the church. And he says, and to the caretakers of the flock, I say, do what is right with your people by forgiving them when they offend you, for you know there is a master in heaven that shows no favoritism. Wow. Stand to your feet. Musicians, come on. Jesus, help us in this place. Order. There is an order in the court. And it's all about honor, resurrection order. It's about honor. It's about submitting to each other. Can I get an amen? You know, if a little six-year-old says truth to you, that's God. You need to submit to that six-year-old and her truth. Wow. Come on. Come on. What does it look like? What does a church look like where everyone submits to each other? Where people are open to correction and we can talk to each other and we can we can love on one another and we could grow in the Lord together. Is anybody with me in this house? Thank you, Lord.